Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. We drop a government on you. If I'm dropping a government on somebody, either they did something really, really good or something really, really bad. The government being Christopher Emmanuel Paul, a.k.a. the point God. But why don't we be real for a minute? Let's get right to the real on a Monday. The point God is the choke God. Just a fact. I mean, it may feel harsh. It may sound harsh. It may feel cruel. It may feel like it's not giving Luca enough credit. And I'll get to him in a minute. But the simple fact of the matter is, Chris Paul is the king of blown leads. Nobody blows a lead like Chris Paul. He's Jean Vandeveld, Greg Norman, and 108 years of the Cubs all rolled into one. He went into the last night as the only player in NBA history to be up 2-0 in a series and lose it four times. That was going into last night. That was the most in NBA history. He has now extended his lead on blown leads. He's going secretariat on all the other chokers in the game. In every game, it's just a fact. That's no hot take. It's not even an opinion. It's a fact. And just so we're clear, check the math on what's involved in blowing a 2-0 lead in a best-of-seven series. What that means is you get up 2-0, and you either lose four of the next five, or you lose four straight. Can I repeat that very quickly? If you're up 2-0, you either lose four of the next five, or you lose four in a row, and this dude has done it five times times and you're telling me that this is one of the great leaders in all sports just when you thought it could not get any worse than blowing a 2-0 lead in the finals it got worse blowing a 2-0 lead and nearly getting a 50 piece in your face in a game seven at home right in my face I mean that cannot happen not if Chris Paul is as good as everybody says he is I mean, that's a fact. And here's another fact. Chris Paul cannot win you an NBA title. Chris Paul will not win you an NBA title. He might win a ring at some point. He might gravy train his way to the podium. But his days of leading your team to an NBA title are over. And turns out those days never even existed in the first place. If he can't close out a finals up 2-0 when he's 36... And he can't close out a series up 2-0 when he's 37. He's not leading you to a title at 38 or 39. And I know last night was not all on him. But if you're the point God, if you're one of the alleged best ever at your position, you can't fall on your face the way he did last night. And again, it's not all on him per se. Like Devin Booker sucked last night. DeAndre Ayton was a non-factor last night. Pretty much everybody in the Suns gear was a total disaster last night. But Chris Paul is supposed to be the guy who steadies the ship. He's the vet. He's the Hall of Famer. He's the point god. He's on this team to win games like that. All the vitriol, all the bile, all the fat, that everybody is half for James Harden. 
and it was deserved. But Chris Paul deserves even more because he melted. He no-showed. That was a legacy game for Chris Paul, and he fell flat on his face, which is officially his legacy. One point in the first half. One point. A single point in the first half. Zero made shots from the field in the first half of a Game 7 at home. And the Mavs were going right at him. They were attacking him. They were going at him when he had the ball. They knew he was a weak spot, and they punished him. They made him pay for it. And Chris Paul and Phoenix did jack. They were down 18 in the first half, then 21, then 27, then 30. And at no point did Chris Paul, allegedly one of the greatest leaders of all time, do anything to stop the bleeding, do anything to turn it around. Nothing. I mean, it was so quiet in that building, you could practically hear Luca laughing every time he made a three. So last night was not just a bad look for Paul. It was a bad look for the Suns in general because they were feeling pretty damn good about themselves, weren't they, after game five? They're all up in here throwing alley-oops, running up the score. Devin Booker was mocking the Luka special. And then they ran into the Luka special. And he destroyed them in front of their friends, in front of their families, in front of their co-workers. Absolutely punked them over and over again and laughed about it and then talked bleep about it. Booker's Luka special joke boomeranged about as hard as that Wade LeBron fake cough back in the day before Dirk carved them up. Luka had 27 at the half. So did the Suns. I'm not stunned that he showed up the way he did last night because that's who that guy is. He's a superstar. He's a killer. And if you're going to take that guy out, you're going to have to kill him. He's going to go down swinging. You're going to have to kill this guy to take him out. The shock here is either the Suns really are chokers of that magnitude or they just didn't give a damn about that game or both because they didn't get blown out in the second half. They got blown out in the first quarter. They never even showed up. I could spend all three hours dumping on Paul and the Suns and it still wouldn't be enough. That's how bad that game was last night. That's how bad. That entire performance was. And as much crap as the Sixers took, this implosion was so much worse because Phoenix did not have the injury issues that Philadelphia did. They weren't supposed to have the chemistry issues either. They were the best team in the regular season, and they didn't just have the best record in the NBA. They had the best record by eight games. They lapped the field. They worked that hard for that many months to get a home court only to embarrass themselves and their fans at home with the entire nation watching. Suns in four became Suns down 40 pretty damn quickly. I mean, at that point, I'm thinking to myself, they're going to lose by 50 in a game seven at home. I mean, did they give any crap at all? Did this show any heart at all, any hustle, any fight, any grit, anything that mattered? Like, while Luca and Spencer Dinwiddie were the perfect combination of surgical and clinical, the Suns were the horrible combination of terrible and not giving a damn. I mean, it really was a gutless, 
heartless display. I'm not sure I've seen a worse performance on a big stage ever. Guys all up in here, browning their drawers, puking the bed. I mean, they did all of that. And while that was, what's your soundbite for browning the drawers, Alvin? You got one of those? Thank you. I mean, while, while that was a total team implosion. Yeah, okay, I got it, Alvin. Thank you. It's on the point, God, because this dude, the dude who is legendary for being able to control a game, could not control anything last night. He had his first bucket when the team was down 40. His first bucket when they were down 40 in a game seven at home. It's got to be the most humiliating stat I think I've ever heard in my life. Hall of Fame player in a must-win game, and he gets his first bucket in garbage time. Man, and you know who was cackling. You know who was having a good old time with that. One Patrick Beverly. Let me direct you to his tweet. And I quote, Y'all stay locked in. Let's see who pulls the fake hurt move down a dub. End of tweet. And sure enough, that was Pat Bev early, early in last night's game. And sure enough, check this tweet from Mark Spears. Quote, Suns point guard Chris Paul limped out of the arena with a very slow walk. Anscape learned that Paul had a left quad injury. When asked about the quad injury, Paul declined comment. Declined comment. End of quote. Well, well, well. What do you know? What a quinky dink. Gets blown out by nearly 50 and suddenly has an injury. I'm it's not saying it's not legit. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying he's faking an injury to explain why he just stunk it up on the biggest stage. I'm just saying it's a hell of a quinky dink. And Pat Beverly called it early in the game. Take their ass home. That was a collective failure by the Suns, top to bottom. But it was a career-defining choke job by Chris Paul. The ultimate choke job from the choke king, and nothing's going to erase that because now it's happened five times. You know what? Even if it happened a fifth time and they lost on a buzzer beater, yeah, that'd be something, right? But coming out and nearly losing by 50, 50 at home in a game seven situation, and he didn't get his first bucket till they were down by 40? Find me something else to compare to that. I've been thinking about it all morning long, and I can't think of another choke as bad as that. Hey, guys, let me ask you something. What are you doing when it comes to skincare? Yeah, that's what I thought. You probably have no routine whatsoever. Bad play. But this is where Tiege Hanley comes in. Tiege Hanley is a men's skincare company that helps guys start and maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. That's your problem. You don't have a plan, but you need one, and now you do. As an example, let me recommend to you the Skincare System Level 1. It's the easiest way to get started, and it comes with all the basics that you need to take care of your skin. The products included are a face wash, an exfoliating scrub, an AM moisturizer, and a PM moisturizer. Listen, you may think that you don't need a skincare routine, but you do. Trust me, I know I do. I'm in front of a camera every single day, so I take this seriously. 
and this plan and this routine work perfectly for me and in my process. But don't take my word for it. Tish Hanley has over 5,000 five-star reviews, 5,000-plus five-star reviews on their website from customers worldwide. And because Tiege Hanley is sponsoring today's episode, they are offering you a great deal. Just go to Tiege.com slash Rome, and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. It's an amazing deal. T-I-E-G-E dot com slash Rome. He is a friend of the program. He is Vincent Goodwill. Dude, Vincent, what's going on? How are you? Jim, I see why you live on the West Coast. I'm here in Phoenix. It's 9 in the morning, and the sun is out. I get it. Yeah, right? How's that feel? <laughs> uh, it, it, feel it feels like Midwestern winters do not sound fun anymore. <laughs> no, I, I feel you. You know, what's even more interesting is that the sun actually came up there after what happened last night. I mean, I was tweeting it last night, Vincent. I watched an entire half of garbage time basketball in a game seven. You were there. What the hell happened to the Suns last night? Uh, a choking is like missing free throws, right? Like That's like Carl Malone. That's like maybe James Harden or something. These guys just didn't show, but there was something wrong with that team. Jim, almost from the moment that they stepped on the floor, you could just feel everything tight. The players were tight. It was almost like they grasped the severity of the moment, which you want your players to do in the game seven. You want them to understand the seriousness of it. But it felt like they were almost paralyzed by it, at least in a basketball sense. And Dallas was playing loose and free. And from the moment that game two ended, Dallas has won four of the last five games. And that means something. Not to say that they're a better team, but they got a better handle on Phoenix than Phoenix got on them. And, you know, everybody's going to say that it points to Chris Paul, it points to Devin Booker and everything else. And maybe it should, you know, but at the same time, Luka Doncic was applying the screws yesterday. It's all of those things. Vincent Goodwill is joining us. I mean, absolutely. Like, I made a point at the very top that the point God has now done something unbelievable. Like, he's blown five 2-0 leads, but taking nothing away from Luka, who is just absolutely amazing. But you got to go back to the point God. Like, what happened? I mean, is it pretty much a product of what you just said? Did he just gas out? Was it something else? How does that guy play that guy, that game in that moment when just two weeks ago we were all deifying him? Well, you got to look what happened between games, games two and game seven, where his numbers were precipitously lower. You know what I mean? Like, this wasn't a consistent Chris Paul performance, and then he just gagged in game seven. This was starting from game three. The day that he turned 37 years old, he started to play like a 37-year-old. And my colleague Mark Spears from Anscape said that he was dealing with a left quad injury. Maybe that explains some of it. Part of it is also we see teams figure him out. When a, there's a guy like Chris Paul – who plays the position perfectly. And I think you understand what I mean when I say this. He plays the position in a textbook perfect way, and there's very little variance in how he plays it. The way that you scout him is the way that he's going to play. The problem is after the game, game three of a series, and I have my handle on you, and you don't have a counter, and you don't do anything differently other than what the percentages say that you're going to do, there's no variance in that. Even if, like, taking errors, you know what I mean? Even if you're throwing a pass, that someone can't catch, I still have to guard for it. He plays the position so perfectly, you can almost predict how he's going to play, thus making him easy to control. Hmm. What about Devin Booker then? What would his excuse be? Oh, they, they just got on him. They, they attacked him on every screen roll. 
You know, he didn't get any open looks. He was trying to start his offense, you know, from further and further out. That's not where he's most comfortable. He's a guy that can get it in the mid-range, but they weren't letting him get to his spots. They were as relentless a defense on the wings, even though they're playing next to a guy in Luka Doncic that does not play defense at all. But those other four guys on the floor were on a string, and Jason Kidd was calling out the coverages every single time. He had three sets of eyes on him whenever he touched the ball. And not so much that there wasn't a counter that Monty Williams couldn't have, could not have done, but there was no other guy on the floor. If Chris Paul's contained and Devin Booker is being controlled by the defense, there's no other guy that can create a shot that can alleviate some of that pressure. And part of that jump comes from winning 64 games in the regular season. You never lost three games in a row, let alone four or five, so you never had to experience adversity at this level. Sometimes going through a losing streak, through a season or a couple losing streaks where you got to figure some stuff out because plan A doesn't work, that helps you when you get to this level. At this point, all they were used to was plan A because plan A had yielded them 64 wins. Right. Vincent Goodwill is joining us. You mentioned Jason Kidd. Vince, how much better has he gotten as a head coach, Jason Kidd? I think a lot of times we are people of first impressions. We don't give people room to grow, especially when you're a point guard and you're going straight from playing to the bench. And you don't allow people to make those mistakes. Usually first-year coaches have been, or any first-time coaches, have been assistants for a little bit. They have their own ideas. Then they have to get knocked down a little bit. And then they figure things out. It happened for Rick Carlisle, right? Remember everybody said Rick Carlisle was the most stubborn man in the history of the earth and everything else. And then he won a championship and things became different. He became winner guy. You know what I mean? Like Jason Kidd is in that space now where, yeah, he's learned some things, but he's still true to himself. He's still very much demanding of his players. He was a better coach in Milwaukee than he was in Brooklyn, and he's a better coach now than he was in Milwaukee, and I think that's a natural evolution. We are talking to Vincent Goodwill. So what are your early thoughts on the Mavericks and Golden State in the Western Conference Finals? It's giving me – Cleveland in 2007 vibes, hmm. as in one man can beat everybody. And I think as great as Stephen Curry is and Clay Thompson is, you look at that Golden State team, that looks like Golden State, but I don't know if they really are Golden State, if you understand what I'm saying. Hmm. Like they can rev it up for maybe a game or two, but I don't think that's the way that they play throughout the course of a season. I don't know if they have that in them anymore. You know, they shot, I think, 29 and 31% respectively for four games, six before Klay Thompson shot eight or 14, and Steph shot 35%, which actually raised his, his, his average. And now you're playing against a really, really good defense that beat the best team in the league. That might be a tough pass for, for us to assume that Golden State is just going to walk all over them because Memphis very well could have beaten Golden State had John Morant been helped. I think that's fair. Vincent Goodwill joining me for a few more moments. What about on the other side? You've got Miami. They've had some rest. You've got the Celtics, who had a really impressive Game 7, but they've got to turn right around. They're road favorites in the Eastern Conference Finals, which get underway tomorrow night. Who do you like in that series? How many times are you going to keep disrespecting Eric Spolstra or Jimmy Butler right? the Miami Heat? No, I hear you. You know what I mean? I, I get that everybody believes, Jim, that the winner of the Milwaukee-Boston series is going to either be the champion or at least represent the Eastern Conference in the finals. I, I never ascribe to that belief. Now, that's not to say that I don't respect the Boston Celtics, but when you look at what the Miami Heat have, they have younger guys that can chase you around the perimeter, like the Max Struces of the world and the Gabe Vences, guys who you don't necessarily know. But 
with Jimmy Butler being that guy, he's not Giannis in the way that everything runs directly through him all the time. So you don't have to worry about, in my opinion, trying to corral him in that way. I think this is something, a completely different challenge for them. I think Bam Adebayo is an interior presence that Miami, that Milwaukee didn't have, that Milwaukee didn't have. Like everything ran through Giannis and the second that something went wrong, you saw what happened, and they didn't have Chris Middleton. Kyle Lowry is not as important as Chris Middleton. I think this is going to be a whale of a series. I'm Jim, put it like this. I think I will be in Southeast the first week of June. How about that? Hey, listen, I, I don't think that's so far-fetched. Miami's favorite in game one. Boston's favorite in the series. I already hit Miami. I already hit them plus 155 for the series. Like, I, I love the value. I love them. I love Miami, and I'm not here to disrespect Boston. There's so much to like about them. But for the reasons you just mentioned, I think Eric Spolstra, you cannot sleep on this guy. And even though we're all sick of hearing about the culture, the culture, the culture, there's something to the culture. And then, oh, yeah, Jimmy Buckets. Vincent Goodwill, senior NBA writer for Yahoo Sports, enjoying some of the sun. My man, good to have you back. Have a great week. And I know you and I will chop it up again soon. Absolutely, Jim. Great to have you on. Great to be on again, man. Appreciate you. Too, it. dude. So, quick question: Why is Old Trapper Beef Jerky so amazing? Let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business, a family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky. Now, I, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? At Wrong Rush One tweets, Dear Mr. Rome, apparently NBC didn't like my coverage. Sincerely, Drew Brees' lettuce. Why did I think that you might go with that on that topic? Why did I know that you might go with that on that topic? At Salvador Yoga, Rome, how was your weekend? Mine was a bit hairy. Seems NBC has pulled the rug out from underneath me in the broadcast booth. I won't wig out, though. Guess I may see if I can still get a piece of action as a QB in the NFL. Follick deficiently yours, Drew Brees. And finally, hey, Rome, as part of his contract with NBC, do you think that Drew needs to return that rug on his dome, in addition to his laptop and pass card. Thanks, Mike R. in Toronto. Uh, I don't know, Mike, I don't really know their policy. I don't know if it's a rug on loan or if it's real or I, I don't know. Who do I look like, banner carpets? Now, why don't we talk about what this all means? So, Saints fan, I know that you had an unbelievable offseason. I mean, you really did. You have, I mean, it was so good that your your former franchise quarterback and all-time great Drew Brees was extremely hyped on the offseason. 
Apparently so much so that he may want to come back. Maybe. Like you thought you had yourself a Sunday. Check out what Drew Brees did on the seventh day. It started with a report from Andrew Marchand of the Post, New York Post, saying that the future Hall of Famer will be leaving his NBC gig after only one season. I mean, that in and of itself is really unusual. Breeze tweeted, quote, Despite speculation from media about my future this fall, I'm currently undecided. I may work for NBC. I may play football again. I may focus on business and philanthropy. I may train for the pickleball tour, senior golf tour, coach my kids, or all of the above. I'll let you know. End of quote. Yeah, so I'm not exactly clear on this. I would assume he's joking about playing football again. However, this tweet came nine minutes after this one. Quote, man, signing at Juice Landry and at Matthew Era makes me want to come back and play again. Great additions, leaders, and players. End of tweet. So add that to the fact that the guy nearly did come back reportedly for a late-season game against Miami, and I could see why people are starting to think that this is more than just speculation or a possibility. I don't know. I think I'd say that the pickleball tour would be a better option for him than the NFL. I mean, he is 43 years old now. He did have shoulder surgery earlier this month. And yes, I understand it was not the throwing shoulder. It was his left shoulder. But come on. We don't really need this. And especially from this guy. And I'm coming from the best and most respectful place I can when I say that. And yes, if ever there was a dude who beat back all the skeptics, all the doubters, all the haters, it's this guy. This guy. I couldn't respect Drew Brees any more than I do. I love this guy. I love him as a player, a leader, a philanthropist, a father. I mean, this guy, they don't build him like this guy. He is an all-timer. And, of course, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. He was that. Keyword, though, was. I mean, if a 41-year-old Drew Brees could not push the ball 15 yards downfield, what in the hell would a 43-year-old Brees do? And trust me, I'm not taking a shot at this guy. I love this guy. But that was a fact in his final season. Father time is still undefeated. And it had my guy tapping in his final playoff game against Tampa Bay. I mean, clearly. I will say, though, his excitement for Saints football is real. Like, I can feel it. I can feel it all the way here in my SoCal studios. Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Where are you? There you go. You, I'm in uh, beautiful Minneapolis right now. Well, good. That would be Brad Childress. I just thought I'd wedge that in there for whatever reason. SoCal, yo. SoCal, Brad. Anyway, I mean, they've had quite an offseason in the Big Easy. I'm pretty sure that no team in the history of sport has ever hit the salary cap mat harder than New Orleans had to to start their offseason. But somehow, someway, they bounced the hell right back up. I mean, no joke. What they did is incredible with this roster. In what looked like a rebuild at season's end, now looks like a legit NFC South and Super Bowl contender if Jameis Winston is healthy and continues to cut down on his turnovers. And I'm not making a joke. I'm not setting this up either. Haters, it's not as far-fetched as it once seemed. He was, in fact, balling 
before he shredded his knee. He was 5-2 and two as their starter. He had 14 TDs and only three interceptions. And now he could have three weapons that he did not have a season ago. Three legit weapons. One in Michael Thomas, who had a better four-year start to his career than anybody else. Yes, can't guard Mike. Can't guard Mike went all historic with it. Maybe you've forgotten the numbers. 450-plus receptions, 5,500 receiving yards, and 30-plus TDs. Not Rice, not Moss, but can't guard Mike. And yes, I know he's been hurt, but I'm not ready to bury this guy yet. And reportedly, he's healthy. Then what else? They go out and they draft Chris Olave in the first round. Big play talent. He can make people miss. We know this. Then on Friday, as referenced, they add Juice Landry, a stud. So now you've got a wideout room that's absolutely loaded. I can see why Drew likes that energy. But as much as I like Drew, and as sacrilegious as it sounds, they're better off with Jameis throwing them the ball than they are Breeze. Yes, I said it. It's really not a controversial statement. I would never say something like that if we were talking about a 33-year-old Drew Brees, but we're talking about a 43-year-old Drew Brees. I'd rather roll the dice with Winston, as crazy as that sounds. Drew, do whatever you want. Coach the kids, join the senior tour, pick up a mic in the football booth if you have to, just do not pick the football up. I mean, Saints fans, you tell me. I'll put it out there for you. Who and what would you rather have? The former NFL passing king at 43 or this guy? Uh, as, as, a, as a kid, my, my passion was always football, right? But being taken away from the game, I didn't realize that my passion was playing football. <laughs> That's the sound of my mind being blown. Can I maybe hear that one more time? This was Jameis from over the weekend. Uh, as, as, a, as a kid, my, my passion was always football, right? But being taken away from the game, I didn't realize that my passion was playing football. Once again, that's the sound of my brain being splattered all over the walls. Mind blown. Can I please have that just one more time, Alvin? Just uh, once as, more? As a, as a kid, my, my passion was always football, right? But being taken away from the game, I didn't realize that my passion was playing football. Simply cannot teach that. That is incredible. Even if Drew, at 43, were slightly better on the field, he is still getting secretariated at the Belmont by Jameis off the field. There is no one I would rather hear right now than Jameis Winston. This dude is so funny. Hell, I would love to know what his trainer had to say about the Drew news. Not that Jameis would be able to relay it, but still. I just think we were prepared. You know, one thing my, uh, my trainer, he told me, he said, what did he say? He just told us to be prepared. Tell you what, man. Best watch in the game right now. 
Hey, Drew, I'm sure they gave you a gold watch. Just enjoy that. You earned it. And a gold jacket will be yours soon enough. You'll earn that. Jameis, man. Somebody ask him another question. About anything. Uh, as, as, a, as a kid, my, my passion was always football, right? But being taken away from the game, I didn't realize that my passion was playing football. Oh. It's getting better and better. Wow. I, I... And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful. You know, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all the cash back that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Mike Rupp is my guest. Mike, need I even ask, how was your weekend, my man? <laughs> hey, I don't know. I mean, you could look at it a couple different ways. People that aren't sports fans are probably like, get a life. But I'm sitting here. If you're a sports fan, I mean, it was heaven. It was heaven. I went out. It was like, uh, you know, I, I, I actually had the weekend off. So I was actually able to enjoy it the real way. And I ordered an absolute ton of wings yesterday, sat around and watched some game sevens. It was, it was the best. I mean, what a way. What a way to spend your weekend. Oh, it does not get any better than that. I even tweeted last night the NHL playoffs. The NHL weekend was so much better than the NBA weekend. And if you're a real sports fan and you're open-minded and objective, there's no way to argue that. It was incredible. We could start in any number of places, but obviously you know the Penguins really well, Mike. What were you thinking as you watched them take the lead in the second period in New York before the Rangers tied up in the third and then won it in OT? Yeah, I mean, you've got a you've got a team at uh, where you want them, right? You got them on the ropes. You that that's something in the playoffs. Like when you get a lead in the NHL playoffs, I mean, that is something that you have to you have to play a little bit differently. You have to be a little more calculated in your decision making. Uh, this Rangers team, man, they've been so good in games five, six, and seven of coming back. I mean, it was two nothing in game five for the Penguins, two nothing in game six for the Penguins. And then the Penguins had two separate one-goal leads yesterday, and they lost all three of those games, right? So um, you got to give a lot of credit to uh, to the Rangers. Uh, just kind of when they when they come, they come in waves, and they come at you hard. But uh, there's that that whole entire series had a lot of different controversy. I think that that's what kind of added to everything as far as from the game one where you had that uh, was that the Game one was a triple overtime, right? Yeah, it was the triple overtime, and yes. there was the the call going to the net in, in the game earlier that everybody thought that that uh, the Rangers kind of got hosed, and then there was the Crosby injury and the Truba hit where they thought it should be a suspension and all the penalty, and so I mean this team, this had a lot of drama in this series, but uh, it was it was hard fought, but it's, at the end of the day, you guys sit there and look if you're the Penguins. Man, you had some you had some opportunities to close out and leads and close out games, and you're unable to do it. So I think that that's going to have an unsettling summer for Pittsburgh. We're talking to Mike Rupp. So, Mike, in terms of an unsettling summer, does it feel like it could be even more than that? For instance, does it feel like it might be the end of an era in Pittsburgh? And if that's the case, how are you going to remember that era? Yeah, you know, it's tough. It's tough because you sit there and just even from my, I know there's a lot of fan bases who probably despise the Pittsburgh Penguins, but you can't argue with what they've done 
dating back to, even if you go back to 2008, 2008, there were Stanley Cup finals. They lose to the Detroit Red Wings. They come back the next year and play Detroit again. They win it in 2009. And then they had the back-to-back in 16-17. And, and the big core dating all the way back was Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Marc-Andre Fleury. Marc-Andre Fleury, no, an expansion went to Vegas. But the big three were still in Pittsburgh. And this this is uh, seems like the end here. I mean, you've got the UFA, an unrestricted free agent of Malkin and, and Latang. Latang is pushing 35, or is he about 35, and he's, He's on top of his game. Like he's going to get paid. I don't know if if Pittsburgh's going to be able to uh, afford those guys. To put it this way, they're not going to be able to afford both of them. And they got Brian Rust in the mix too. It's going to be a new change. And they've got that Fenway Sports Group in there now that's owning the team. I have a feeling that they're going to swing for the fences and change things. So yeah, it's the end of an era. I think it's an exciting time because they got this great management group in there in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think the only thing we know for certain is Sidney Crosby will be a Penguin forever and uh, he's still playing at a really high level right Mike Roth is joining us so Mike the other game seven last night was Dallas at Calgary which turned out to be another overtime classic stars goalie Jake Ottinger had 64 saves in that game and Calgary won what did you make of his performance though between the pipes you know what uh, Jim I've been really fortunate in my career to play with Marty Berdour which I think is the best goalie ever I just talked about Marc-Andre Fleury. He's probably a top-five goalie ever, and I played with Henrik Lundqvist, um, who's who's up there as well. Last night's Jake Ottinger game seven was probably one of the most impressive, if not the most impressive goalie performance I've ever seen, and with my own eyes. I mean, what what, what he was doing out there, you saw the, the shot discrepancy, but this kid was unbelievable. I was watching that overtime and just I'm yelling, uh, in, in, in my house, like I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I mean, huge save after huge save, and eventually, when a goaltender's going from one side of the net to the other, back and forth, dive and making these desperation saves, and they keep getting other chances. Eventually, it goes in. It didn't. He kept making those saves, so uh, it was it was impressive. He was that good all series long. It's a really cool story with him too, because I, I don't think he was always the future of the Dallas Stars. But to start the season at different times, I mean, there was four goalies there in Dallas to start the season. He was the only guy on a two-way contract that could get sent down to the minors, and that's what happened. He got sent down to the minors, and here we are now. Looks like just an absolute franchise goaltender that uh, looks like he's going to be one of the greats as well, and uh, he had he had a j- absolute hell of a season uh, uh, series. I'll tell you what, I've never seen anything like it. I thought the guy was absolutely amazing. Mike Rupp is joining us. So, Mike, then he got Calgary moving on to face Edmonton on Wednesday night. Another real interesting matchup. What are your early thoughts on that one? Um, it's going to be mean. The Battle of of Alberta has always got a little extra fire, kind of uh, involved in it. Um, it's going to be it's going to be fun. I mean, I think this is. Uh, uh, they got the star power with McDavid. What he, what Connor McDavid did in the first round is it, this is the time now where I think he he's shown his greatness. But everybody always wants to say, well, when's he going to start winning? When's he going to start, you know, passing rounds in the playoffs? And I mean, he he absolutely drugged uh, the Edmonton Oilers through that first round. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl is a little bit banged up. So it was the kind of the Connor show. And uh, Calgary's coming in. They had an unbelievable season in the Western Conference, but they they, they kind of look like they were a little not really in their groove in the first round against Dallas. So I think this could be a closer series than we think. And, and a lot of times you know you're going in there saying, we got a game plan for Connor McDavid, but the thing that makes him great 
And the thing that always made, you know, MJ great was you knew he was going to get the last shot, and he still buried it. That's what Connor's doing right now, so it should be a heck of a series as well. Yeah, talking to Mike Rupp for a few more moments. Now, Mike, you and I talked about the pressure that was facing Toronto going into that series against Tampa Bay, and you were laying it out for us, the intensity of playing in the Canadian market, and Toronto in particular, how tough was that loss for the Leafs, and how much is that going to linger for the players themselves? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough. And I think that that's where in all sports sometimes from year to year we're like I the the setup is ridiculous. I don't like it. I don't like these I mean, theoretically these two teams should not have played in the first round. I mean, they're both two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And so when we talked before about how that market is so tough in Toronto to play in, it's it's also tough how do they not overreact right now? Like they just played the back-to-back Stanley cup champions and they lost in game seven and they look like the better team in most of the series. So I think this is the time where you really got to be patient here and know what you're doing. Toronto doesn't want to go blow this thing up. I mean, this was the best chance they've had in years. When I say years, I'm talking like, like 50. <laughs> like that's, this hit, their, their team was really good this year. I don't know if you really should tear this thing apart, but that's the overreaction of Toronto sports media, and we'll see what uh, ends up happening with them. So, Mike, I'm jumping around just a little bit before I let you go. The last time you and I spoke, we touched on your time playing for John Tortorella. Torts is an absolute legend. I got to ask, what was he like to play for? I loved him. I loved him. He was a guy that um, we hear it all the time, but you knew exactly where you stood with the guy, you know, and you – you know, he, he was, it was very black and white and you want that as a player. And even like last night we we're watching the handshake lines and Daryl Sutter, who's kind of that old school, the Calgary coaches like torts and Johnny Gaudreau, who is kind of the way he is as a player, shouldn't really mesh together well with the old school of Daryl Sutter. Afterwards, you see them hugging after the, the handshake line and joking around. And I, I remember thinking like, that's how torts is though. Like people see a certain side of torts. Listen, if you come in and you work your absolute butt off and you do the right things and are a good team player, you could joke around with that guy about anything. He's, you can clown with him all the time on the side. I mean, he's a guy that it almost just felt like when Torts is coaching you, it's like that proud father who's just going to be like, you know, nod to you like, good job, kid. You know, like that's what, that's what he kind of says. And I think it makes you want to go through a wall for him. Now, I was going to say, it used to be like the guys would say things like that about Bill Parcells that we're talking about alphas we're talking about elite professionals we're talking about extremely highly paid individuals who are skilled it, it takes a rare sort of leader right to get a room full of alphas where you want to earn that respect you want that attaboy i mean how many coaches really have that it's an amazing thing no it is it is and it's it's nuts because you get that and you know then you it, it, it's weird it's almost like just that no words even being said just that look that nod or when you come off the ice and you're getting a swig out of the water bottle and torts comes by and gives you a little shot in the side of the ribs, like, you know, like a good job. It's like that does more than anything a coach can ever say. I think sometimes coaches think they have to say the right things. They have to say certain things. And no, uh, we know what you want from us. And uh, we just want to, we just want to nod and, and some recognition when, when we do a good job. And I, torts is, he's great at that. There it is. He's a Stanley Cup champion, a 14-year NHL career, an NHL Network analyst. And again, NHL Network is all over the postseason. And you want to make sure you check out Mike's great podcast, too. That's Hockey Talk. Mike will be on the NHL now today at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Mike, I appreciate you coming back. Great to talk some hockey with you, as always.
Awesome. Thanks for having me. We'll talk later. The future will be great, but today is just as incredible. Meet Nissan's most advanced lineup. If you can't get enough adrenaline, there's the all-new 400 HP Nissan Z. Or, for your off-road adventures, check out the all-terrain Nissan Frontier. If you're more of a spontaneous road trip type of person, then hop in the Nissan Pathfinder. And, for something more electric, there's the stylish Nissan Aria. So, let's enjoy the ride. 2023 RNZ not yet available for purchase. Expected availability this spring for 2023Z and this fall for 2023 Aria. Then you got the NHL. Game 7 was absolutely amazing. I mean, the weekend was because of the Game 7s. This is why when so many of you want to push back so hard when I say the NHL postseason is the best postseason. All right, just take that small sample. You look at this weekend in the NBA and the Game 7s, and you look at this weekend in the NHL and the Game 7s, if you look at it objectively and you looked at it with an open mind, how can you tell me the NHL wasn't so much better? So much better. It was. It always is. Because every single game, every single period, every single shift matters. And when you get to OT, forget about it. Only in hockey could a goaltender stand on his head, make 64 saves, and still lose. I mean, some of the most compelling bleep ever. And not just in one series either. And there's so much more where that came from. All right, so let me open it up to you. Telephone number is toll-free, 1-800-636-8686. It is smack-off season. You need to be in it to win it. You know the rules. It is on June 24th. It is smack off number 28. If you win that thing, you get five grand. Five grand cash. If you come in second place, you get nothing. Let's talk some hockey for a minute. And I've got Chris Hubbard coming up next segment. If you're somebody who still does not seem to understand what's so great about the NHL playoffs, and you keep pushing back, there's really no helping you at this point. Like, at this point, if you're still somebody who doesn't get it, you're probably the same person that needs a description or an explanation as to why free food is a good thing. You probably need me to explain to you why vacations are fun. You probably need me to explain to you why sex is undefeated. If you still are pushing back on the NHL postseason being an amazing thing, I'm going to tell you something. Honestly, wrestling and keep the pill out of it and the drug out of it and Mark in Chicago out of it. Keep that, put that over there. Wrestling was barely a better option than the NHL playoffs this weekend. You speak for yourself, Roman. No, no, I'm speaking for everybody. That's how good the NHL playoffs were this weekend. They were not just better than the NBA. They didn't just run laps around the NBA. They were almost as good as wrestling. They made NBA games look like nap time, like sleepy relaxation videos. Five game sevens in a single weekend was always going to be amazing. But four of them ended up being one goal games. Two of them went to overtime, and every single one of them was worth the watch. I mean, it may have been one of the best weekends in the history of that league. 
honestly, unless you're in Toronto. And then if you're a Leafs fan, it may have been the worst weekend ever. And one critical moment in Saturday's Game 7 against the Lightning summed up the entire experience for Toronto Leafs fans. Tavares into the slot. He scores! It's going to be no goal. It's going to be no goal. An interference call on Hall for the pick to allow that open space by John Tavares. Fans have no clue that this goal is getting called back. Edzo did. Edzo knew. Edzo was all over it. His point that the fans have no idea that this is going to be called back. Having a goal in that situation, and really there is no situation like that situation, a Game 7 situation if you're a Maple Leaf fan. So there is no situation like that. Having a goal waved off, is the ultimate kick in the junk. Leafs fan thought they got this huge goal. What they actually got was two minutes for interference. Just like Leafs fan thought they were showing up Saturday to see the end of one of the most painful droughts in all of sports. But that's not what happened. Instead, what they got was not the end of a five-decade drought But instead, more crap shoveled right into their faces and down their collective throats. Not only have the Leafs failed to win a playoff round since 04, they have been straight up torturing their fan base for the last five seasons. Because over the last five seasons, they have gone down in a winner-take-all game every single year. And they're 0-9 in the elimination games. Home for Game 7 against the two-time defending champs on Saturday. Loss. Game 7 against the Bruins in 2018. Loss. Game 7 against the Bruins in 2019. Loss. Game 5 of the bubble qualifying round in 2020 against Columbus. Loss. Game 7 against Canadians last year. Loss. It's impossible, but it keeps happening. It's, it's... Help me with this, Pervin. It's heartbreaking. It's devastating. Help me with this, Perv. It's devastating. It's devastating. It's heartbreaking. But the thing is, it's nothing new. Like, I want to say it's unfathomable, but they're 0-9 in elimination games. That's not easy to do. In fact, I don't even think that was possible to do. But apparently, it is, Leafs fan. So you and the organization are going to have to wear that. But it's not all bad, Canada. Not at all. In fact, out west, it's pretty damn good because the Battle of Alberta is back on. Flames v. Oilers, round two. I love that. Thanks to the best player in the world showing up huge in round one and game seven. The Oilers might have needed a win over the Kings on Saturday to keep that thing together and keep the best player in the world. Thankfully, the best player in the world got that team, that organization, the entire region on his back, Connor McDavid, and he made sure that he finished it himself. Trying to find McDavid, he does, going to the net. Couldn't get the shot away, he still has it. Wraparound backhand attempt, he still has it. He shoots, he scores! It's the Connor McDavid show, and it's two to nothing late in the third period of game. 
you know, I would say not that he had anything to prove, but there are a few idiots that thought that he had something to prove. This guy's incredible. I mean, he is amazing. And what a series that was. Four goals, 10 assists, a plus 10, and six multiple-point games. The Freak Show is on the ice for 20 of their 26 goals in the series. Just the best player on the planet doing what the best player on the planet does. Again, he was on the ice for 20 of their 26 goals. And all that Saturday action was just a warm-up because yesterday was even more epic. Two more Game 7s and both went to OT. The first one ended on this absolute snipe job at MSG. Top the right circle, moves in, shoots, off the, it's in! It's over! Artemi Paneri scores, and the Rangers have won Game 7 in overtime! Unbelievable! They're mobbing Panarin in the far corner. The Rangers are moving on after another comeback victory. Seriously, that was, and I quote, unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, listen to the garden going ape bleep. The bread man scoring the big goal from a crazy angle. But the Rangers, radio caller man, stole the show. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Sums up the entire weekend, really. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the unbelievable kept going right into the last game of the weekend. I'm talking about Bella B's Flames. And I'm talking about Johnny freaking hockey. To Gaudreau, he locks in front and drops and then shoots it up. Makes the right shoulder save Gaudreau. And the sea of red erupts. Four rings down. Twelve to go. Unbelievable. All right, so that, that guy just said it best. Four wins down. 12 to go. You have any idea how hard they had to grind to get those four wins? This is what I mean about the NHL postseason and why it's the best postseason. Because you have to win 16 games and 16 games like that. Four games down, 12 to go? You have to win 12 more of those wars? And again, you want to talk about an angle, a crazy angle, a tiny window. He beat a guy that you could not beat all night long and put it in the most impossible spot imaginable. Jake Ottinger, one of the greatest goaltending performances ever. The guy made 64 saves and still got beat. I mean, to say that this guy stood on his head, that's the line we always use to describe goaltenders who are out of their minds. To say that he stood on his head would be like an insult to those who actually stand on their head. I mean, he might have been the best athlete wearing a Dallas jersey yesterday. And I say that knowing that Luka was wearing a Dallas jersey yesterday. 64 saves and still got beat. This is what I mean about the NHL postseason. Give me the basketball equivalent of that. 64 saves and they lost. I mean, there's leaving it all out there and then there's that. So I will always honk for the NHL, but never more so than this time of year. You look at what happened in Phoenix in a Game 7. You look what happened between the Celtics and the Bucks in a Game 7. And then look at the NHL landscape in these Game 7s. You tell me what was better this weekend. Let's go to New Orleans. Thomas, good to have you. Thomas, how are you? 
Good, Van Smack. What's going on, what's my brother? What's up, dude? What's Listen. up? Oh, nothing much. Listen, this whole Drew Brees thing is about as silly as, uh, I don't know, the notion of Harry Larity would ever win a freaking smack off, right? Look, Drew Brees is a god down here. We know that. He And, you know, as you like to say, he'll never have to buy a drink in this town, which says something because we like to drink a little bit down here, okay? But he can't throw the ball. He can't. And last time I checked, it's necessary to play football to throw the ball as Jameis has told us, right? And so he's not coming back. It's ridiculous. And, and Jim, I got to take you to task a little bit. Roll off of Jameis a little bit, man. You know, we had the, the absconding with the crab legs and copping the field and the Uber and all that kind of stuff. But I really think when Peyton brought him in, you know, he, he knew it was his last chance. He took it seriously. He's kept his head down. He's kept his nose clean. You don't hear anything about it, uh, him or in, in, you know, in the, in the area. He's Bro- a great brother, 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 I gotta be honest with you. You just did him so much dirtier brother. than I ever did. I'm taking up for him. I love the guy. What are you talking about, Thomas? You just did him so much dirtier than I ever did. I love the guy. Did I or did I not just say before he ripped up his knee, he was five and two. He had 14 touchdown passes. He had only three interceptions. He now has weapons that he did not have previously. And if the guy stays healthy, you're in a good spot. And you have a much better chance of winning with him than you do a 43-year-old Drew Brees. And then if you're going to come at me and say, yeah, Rome, fine. But, man, you're clowning this guy hard. No, I am not. I love this guy. Love him. And I just said he's like the best quote there is in the game. I just need more. I can't get enough. So I don't really know what you're saying. I am not disrespecting this guy. Believe me, you would know disrespect if it were disrespect. I'm coming from a really good place. This is a different dude now. And let's count the ways he's a different dude. Who else could throw for 30 TDs and 30 picks and 5,000 yards in the, in the same season? Nobody. Nobody. And then, Alvin, who else could say things like this? Nobody. Uh, as, as, a, as a kid, my, my passion was always football, right? But being taken away from the game, I didn't realize that my passion was playing football. Thomas, here's the thing. I know he's your guy, and I know that's your team. And I know you're going to go to battle for that guy. But if you know me and you know this show, or even you know life, there's no way in hell somebody says something like that and it doesn't get repeated on this show. Talking to Chris Hubbard, it has been a moment or two since you and I have caught up. Good to have you back on the show. Chris, how are you? I'm doing good, brother. I'm just uh, glad to be on the show, man. It's, uh, it has been a while. It has been a very long time. So it's good to be back and be able to you know, have this talk with you, man. How are you doing? No, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. In fact, it's all coming back. I hear that voice, and it's all coming back to me. It's been a couple of years. Why don't you bring us up today, Chris? You've had a really challenging time the last couple of years on and off the field. You had two yeah. surgeries in the past 16 months alone. So let me start right there. Where are you at physically, and how anxious are you to get back on the field? Man, physically, I'm in a great place, man. Uh, been working my tail off to get back to where I'm at right now. And there's been constantly, you know, just, you know, been in the, in, in the training room and with my with my doctors, with my uh, with my trainers, you know, and being able to eat right. That's another part of, like, taking care of your body. 
uh, a lot of people, you know, forget to realize what you put in your body is what you're going to get out. So, you know, being able to be where I'm at today has been a, thanks to, you know, the team that I've been working with, man. And, uh, you know, um, I've been well, man. I've been really good. And, you know, this has been more fuel to my fire, you know, missing, you know, the amount of time and, like, listening to the fans and how, you know, what the season looks like. And, um, honestly, just, just paying attention to, to the things that I wish I could have did before. But I'm in a good space, man. Talking to Chris Hubbard. Chris, I want to explain this. For those who do not know, you tore your tricep in the opener last year, and you had a dislocated kneecap in December of 2020. Yeah. So these are the things you've had to come back from. When bad things yeah. happen, and they do to everybody, right? It seems to me you go one of two ways. You can shut it down, or you can dig in and see the adversity as an opportunity for growth. What was your mindset for dealing with all of this and overcoming the challenges the last two years? Um, honestly, my mindset was... Uh, I wanted to be back out there uh, with the team, with the people that uh, I've worked hard with, you know, in the off season. And you know, my main thing was just being able to help the team to try to win the Super Bowl. I think that's one of my one of the things that I look forward to is uh, winning the Super Bowl, and that's what that's what really uh, fuels me to keep going, to keep playing, and uh, to be able to uh, stay in the right mind. I mean, a lot of people, you know. Um, you can either go one way or the other, but I chose to do uh, to be able to, um, you know, come back and be able to do something that I love. And I have a great support system, you know, to be able to get me mentally prepared to where I'm at right, right now. Um, you know, family, you know, my uh, friends, and then my girlfriend, you know. So I had a lot of people to be in my corner to to get me to where I'm at today um, in the right mind. So. Uh, I thank them for putting me in the right place where I'm at today. Chris Hubbard's joining us. You know, we talked about what it takes for you to come back physically, but then you also mentioned the mental aspect. Not only did you have to work on the physical health or the physical side, but you also made mental health a priority as well. In fact, you recently shared your story at the luncheon of the National Alliance on Mental Illness Summit. What was it like for you to be up there sharing your story publicly, and why did you decide to do that? Um, my biggest thing is like I want to let people know that um, I'm vulnerable about what space that I'm in, about sharing my story, and, and um, letting people know that you're not alone. And I'm human as I'm, I'm human as, as well as them. You know, a lot of people think that when you're playing football, doing something that you love, that everything may be fine. Like you don't have problems that you go through that goes on, but Really, in reality, we all have problems, too, in this world. So um, I think that's my biggest step. And then also, too, like sharing is um, I want to let the kids know, like being able to let kids know, because I know kids struggle as well with uh, mental health. And for me, if, they, if they're able to look at me and seeing how vulnerable I am to be able to share my story, then they may be able to get the help that they might need to, to share with their loved ones or to anyone that's, that they trust and care about that be able to, to accept them, accept the, the conversation that they may want to have with that one person. So for me, it was just, it was easy to be able to come out and share um, my story and being able to um, let people know that, you know, I'm human as well. 
We're talking to Chris Hubbard. You know, Chris, it's one thing to say, listen, I think that on the outside, people look at you or others in your situation and say, I mean, I would trade places with that guy in a second. He has so many physical gifts. He has so much talent. He has so much money. And your point is, hey, listen, we all have lots of things, but we're not talking specifically about some of the things that you've had to endure. For instance, you were extremely close to your grandfather, and you lost him to prostate cancer when you were a freshman in college. As an example, what was your grandfather like, and then how big of a toll did that take on you? Oh, man, my grandfather played a huge role really huge role in my life, man. He was, like I said, like he's, he was like my, my dad, like my second dad, man. Well, really he is a granddad. So, but, so, um, he was like my best friend, man. We did a lot to get a lot together. Um, he showed me a lot of things in life and he definitely, um, you know, inspired me to want to, to want to, whatever I did or whatever that I wanted to do to be great at it. And because I watched him be be great at a lot of things that he did, um, whether it was cooking, whether it was painting someone's car that he had to finish working on, or you know whether it was cutting the grass, um, little small traits that I saw him do, like I wanted to to mirror that and to be great at whatever it is that I wanted to do. So it inspired me to just you know not take no for an answer, be a, be a man and. You know, and um, kind of step up to the plate. Chris Hubbard's my guest. I think, yeah, exactly right. I think what we're talking about here is what goes on inside the helmet. I think fans do not understand that you have your life, you have your journey, you have your path, and oftentimes it's really challenging and heartbreaking. I want to mention one more person, your cousin, Shannon Fields. He was just 19. You and he were extraordinarily close, very, very close. Mm Yeah. And he was murdered. What was he like? And how hard did that loss hit you? Um, I'm gonna be the first to tell you. Like he, like my cousin Shannon, man. He he told me a long time before, like I even had faith in myself that I would make it to the league. Like it, it was almost like he saw the future before I even got there. And he was like, man, when you get there, I know you're gonna make a lot of people proud a lot of people happy and I and he always believed in me you know when I didn't believe in myself um and I think that for me like he he just told me to just keep driving keep striving like no matter what's going on in life man you're going to continue to do great things and I believe uh, I believe that every step of the way I'll be right there with you and for me like I always kept that in my mind back of my mind it was it was tough when he passed when he was murdered, um, I took that really hard because that was like my best friend, man. That was like my best friends I was able to talk to and communicate with on a daily. Like we, we literally talked every day, all day sometimes, just whether it was big or small. Like we checked in with each other. And for me, that was a person that was my outlet too as well. Chris, I really appreciate you. I really appreciate that you can speak openly about this because it's leading, it's getting me to a point that I want to make sure that I emphasize and I'm really emphatic about, and this is mental health, right? Because then, like, you finally make it. I mean, quote, you make it. You get to the league. You sign a huge deal with the Browns in 2018. You'd think, oh, that should fix everything, but it doesn't, does it? I mean, in some ways, it actually create more pressure and make things even more difficult, more complex? 
It does, man, because you know, you know, just because you think you, just because you have all this money, doesn't mean that you're happy. And you know, seeing that 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 amount gives you anxiety as well because you think about the people that that you love and you care about, and you know, they require that requires a lot from you as well. Friends, you know, family, like when money comes into play, man, it can be it can be very taxing. And a lot of people don't understand that just because you have the money doesn't mean you're all you're um you're in a in a good place because it can bring a lot out of a person that you've never seen before. And you like you you can be like, Man, wait a minute, what I didn't think this person would be like this towards me, you know, when it came to getting a certain contract or uh, having this amount of money or whatever it is, I would like to say that money isn't everything. You, know? you bet. Not, not a chance. And it starts to reveal people's true character. So where does that leave us? You know, you had to get to a point where and it's not easy in the world you live in to say, I need help. I need help. How hard was it for you to ask help? And then when did you finally get that help and turn to therapy? And what did that do for you and your mental health? Um, it took me um, quite some time to really buy into to get help, and it wasn't just you know therapy. It was, I have, like I said, I have friends, like you know people that were around me, and then my girlfriend, like uh, being able to help me through these series, these times of like I didn't know where I wanted to start, like or to talk about. Like I would be angry, like I'd be upset, like I'd be you know different mood swings, man. It was just a total of, you know, everything that, that you can think of um, dealing with emotionally, mentally, and physically because during that time, man, I, I had lost a lot of weight and I was above, I was, uh, you know, I wasn't, I was not at the right weight that I needed to be at. And, you know, honestly, it almost caused me, caused me to want to quit playing football. So, um, I think for me, like the, the best thing is having the, the people that really love you, um, having that support system of people that you can talk to and trust and being able to pray with, to be able to uh, consult with and, to, and talk and to just be your best self, be very vulnerable, you know, um, about what's going on. So I think that's the, that's the main thing, being vulnerable. Because, you know, we talked and about having a, and also and yeah. also having a safe space, too. Uh-huh. You know, we've talked about your support group. The one person in that group we have not talked about is your son, Creed. How old is he now oh, yeah. and what's he like? Uh, Creed is five now, man. He's a uh, he's amazing. He's amazing. Um, he's the one person that, you know, one of the one person that I look at and just immediately just smile like he. With everything going on, man, he always looks at me like I'm, I'm his biggest hero. And for me, that's I think that's what keeps me going and keeps me doing the things that I that I do, you know, for for him and for my family. And uh, and you know, he's always he's always amazing. He's smiling. He loves football. He loves sports in general. So, I mean, how can he not? He's been around some of the top, you know, athletes. Been in the locker room before, so he has people to look up to, you know. That is so awesome. Chris Hubbard's joining us. So later this month, on May 28th and 29th, you're going to host the Cars and Coffee Rally 
It's for mental health. Can you lay that out for me? Exactly what is that all about? So basically, I'm into cars. I love cars. Always been a part about cars. And coffee, you know, that's how you wake up in the morning. You know, that's like the best way of waking up. You know, you heard Folgers in your cup. But, you know, for for me, I think they go both hand in hand. But also it's just raising the awareness of, uh, you know, what mental health really means and uh, how we can all together break the stigma together and, and be a force and join forces together and just, you know, uh, make sure that it's being talked about more. So I think that's, that's, that's the main thing for having that, uh, this event. That is absolutely the main thing. You have to have that dialogue. You have to have that rapport. So really quickly, you're going to be in Southeast Ohio on SR555, also known as the Triple Nickel. What is that stretch of road like as a driver? Oh, man. it's uh, You better have great tires, man. I I will tell you that. Right. (laughs) better have great tires, and you you better hold on uh, being able to have two hands on the wheel instead of one. So uh, make sure that you're – that you know what you're doing, you're paying very close attention because it is a tight, tight turn. So it's 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 amazing. You got to know when to let on the gas and when not to let on the gas. Sounds like a great time. It's May 28th and 29th. Cars and coffee that rallies for mental health. My guest. Chris Hubbard. Chris, I looked at it. It's been, we last talked in 2020, so great to get caught up with you. You do sound like you're in a great headspace, and you're good physically, anxious to see you back on the field, and it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much, and good luck with all that stuff. Thank you so much, Brother Jim. I appreciate you, man, for having me on the show, and thank you for your time, man. I appreciate you. No, I appreciate you very much, and I appreciate your time. Good night, man!